Hello, fellow Homo sapiens, and welcome to the Mike Mantell podcast. On this podcast, I'm exploring today's consciousness movement, sex and intimacy movement, and personal growth movement. And I'm talking with the thought leaders from all of these movements and just getting a pulse on what's going on in the world in these departments. Today, I talked with a man named Derek Loudermilk. Really cool last name, just for starters. He's a coach. He's a speaker. He leads what he calls adventure quests, which are transformational group adventures to foreign countries. And he also hosts his own podcast called The Art of Adventure Podcast. And it's cool. I'd recommend checking it out. He talks with adventures across the board from traveling adventures to business mogul adventures and really dives into what the journey of an adventure is. This episode with Derek was really neat. He's a wonderful conversationalist. It was a sprawling conversation. We covered so many different topics. Uh, we talked about thought leadership. What is a thought leader? We talked about death and fear of death and maybe the part of us that wants to die. We talked about his book, Superconductors, and chapter on charisma, and really talking about how charisma is just a form of power. And we talked about his relationship with his family and his life and his book writing process. It's a beautiful conversation. I had a ton of fun, and he's just a really good-hearted, humble, and just like genuine guy. I really appreciated talking to him. I originally met Derek because he hosted a colleague of mine on his podcast named Antisa. And so I looked at his podcast, this was a couple months ago, and I went to his website, and I was so impressed with his About Me section. He just had such thorough self-knowledge, it really struck me. And yeah, it struck me and I eventually reached out to him because I wanted to get to know this uh, self-inquiring man. And before diving into the episode, I want to ask you to go to iTunes, look up the Mike Mantell podcast, unless you're already on it, and give it five stars, maybe even write it a review. So I just launched this podcast, and I'm trying to get onto iTunes new and noteworthy, which just means in the next couple weeks, if I get enough ratings and reviews, they'll put me on the front page, and that will give more people access to this podcast. Obviously, I have uh, self-interest in that because I want this podcast to get out there. But also, I truly believe in the messages of the people I'm talking with. I'm trying to get to the kernel of wisdom in today's world and share that with other folks. And ultimately, I just want people to be living the best lives they can. And I hope these conversations are a access point for people to find their own wisdom. So if you have it in you, I would very much appreciate any ratings or reviews on iTunes. And if you do rate or review the podcast on iTunes, shoot me a message on Facebook, let me know, and I would love to give you a compliment, a sincere, authentic compliment. I think compliments are a beautiful bridge into connection, and I would love to lay that bridge with you, so please take me up on that. Also, if you have any ideas for guests or folks that you would like to hear more about their life journey or perspective, let me know. I'm happy to talk to almost anyone out there, truly. And lastly, I just want to give props to my man, Will Lowry. His SoundCloud is The Lowrider, Rider with a Y. Uh, he made the intro song to this podcast, and I really love this song. And I, that guy's an amazing musician, so check out his music. All right, without any more ado, I bring you Derek Loudermilk. Thought leaders, thought leadership. What? Does that even, what does that mean? It's a word that's flung around a lot, but I'm curious what that means to you. Yeah. Um, there's, there's two, two parts of that, that I think about. And one is the thought side and one is the leader side. And, uh, so there's sort of independent skills. Um, so, so to, to get to a place where you're coming up with basically brand new thoughts is, you know, uh, leading thoughts so thought thought leaders basically means you have to you have to pick an area that you want to go deep in and then really understand where the cutting edge of that field you know 
science, spirituality, sexuality, whatever it is, understand where the conversation is and then understand how your voice can be a part of creating new ideas in that space. Um, so it, partly it's about understanding like uh, the way that you're thinking and, and your own experience and weaving that into the field itself. <clears throat> um, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of background work and sort of understanding and contextualizing that that needs to happen before you can sort of really start stepping out there and saying, here's, uh, here's what I believe to be true or, or taking a stand on something. Um, and of course you can take a stand on something that everyone else already knows and agrees with. Um, but that's not really thought leadership so much as, you know, having a strong opinion, which is really valuable as well. Uh, and then there's the leadership side and it's, if you have, um, something that you want to help people with, I, I mean, most thought leaders want to change the way that people think about something or they want to help people get somewhere or they want to change how something gets done. And so they're leading people through some sort of transformation, some sort of process that takes them from uh, a beginner to intermediate to advanced or a place where they don't want to be to a place where they do want to be. And there's, there's all kinds of things that go into that. Your, your speaking ability, your persuasive ability, your ability to, to build a tribe around you, um, your ability to lead people to actually take action. Um, so there's, there's a ton going on with thought leadership uh, and it, it can be in any field, which is, which is cool. It could be uh, knitting or dog, dog walking or personal development or, or whatever it is. Um, so yeah, it's just this thing that I, that I think about con continually now that I'm working with a lot of thought leaders. <laughs> right. Cool. I like the way you put that. So at the beginning, the idea of like being at the cutting edge of a, a conversation that's happening, I guess you could say, because in all these different areas, there's, there's conversations that are just like unfolding with the times. Yeah. And so for me, that makes me think I'm in some like particular bubbles. Like I'm in like a, I don't know, some kind of like coaching sex positivity, um, like masculine feminine bubble a lot on Facebook, I'm noticing. And there's a particular conversation that's happening there. And everyone in the conversation seems to kind of know each other too. And they're all like developing the conversation together and pushing it forward. And it, so there's something interesting that like about this idea of pushing a conversation forward. I'm wondering if, if it's possible in your view to be a thought leader around like, I don't know, like ancient wisdom. Like th there's something about like novelty that seems to be, or like things that are new that seems to be relevant in what you're saying. But to be a thought leader, does it have to be around like innovating something new? Like, is it impossible to be a thought leader around like, I don't know, Buddhism or something? Uh, sure. I think it's possible to be a thought leader uh, because the, the way that you um, take ancient wisdom or something and translate it into modern times, you know, like any good minister is doing this um, and sort of contextualizing and making it relevant for people. Um, and they're, they're adding their own experience. So in that sense, they're combining the ancient wisdom with some part of themselves, which then becomes like a new thing entirely. Um, which is why like people can, different people can teach the same thing. And there's like room in the business world for lots of people teaching the same things because they all have a different, uh, personal imprint on the, the thoughts. Right. Yeah. Cool. That makes sense. I guess everything is contextualized in the person speaking it and in the world we're living in. One example is, uh, a sort of a not not quite ancient, but um, how we are right now rediscovering like psilocybin, and there is uh, drug trials going on to utilize psilocybin, and this was like brought up, and there were thought leaders in many different decades in the um, in the last century, and you know as we continue to learn about the the substances and how to use them, we just get better and better at utilizing them, it's basically the same technology or the same, you know, humans and uh, mushrooms interacting. But um, I don't know, there's, there's still some, some, some sort of revitalization, cutting edge, bringing back of the old things, uh, but it gets, gets modernized because we have 
new insights into psychology and new insights into drug development and, and all kinds of things which are weren't there last time. Yeah. That's a cool example because, I don't know, now we like are able to look at psilocybin from a bunch of different worlds, like the world of shamanism and then the world of like medicine and then, I don't know, Terrence McKenna and whatever he was doing and then like see the cross-pollination between these worlds, which is certainly new. And so, so something that I'm wondering in hearing you talk also is like, okay, there's this cool idea of a thought leader being at the cutting edge of some conversation that's happening, being in there, pushing it forward with new and novel thoughts and then like leading people into action in that direction. And I'm curious, like, is there a place that all of the thought leaders are going? Like, you know, it seems like the, is there some like merging point that all of the conversations are pushing towards? Does it, does that make sense? Yeah. I, I, I think it's kind of the opposite. Like, uh, it's like the expanding universe of, uh, you know, formerly some, some, topic of, I, I don't know, let's say biology, uh, since I used to be a biologist, uh, now, now you can get, and more than just a biology degree, you can get sort of a hundred different PhDs within biology. So it's being subdivided and, and more and more, and, and I think medicine too, like there's, there's several hundred specialties of medicine where it used to be just you were a doctor. So I think the conversation is actually expanding and it's it's cool you know your your group of people that you're seeing in this area like it's cool to think about how let's say mozart and all the all the musicians that were doing stuff in vienna uh in in the 1800s or whenever they were doing that like they were their own little group or the or the people that right, did right. the sort of economic <laughs> revolution uh in edinburgh like that that probably felt very similar to them how it feels to you uh to be in the group that you're in which i think is really cool um you know they were changing the world uh and and you guys are too um it may not you know broadly sweep the globe or or it might but the 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 conversations the, the sort of close knitness and everyone's working on the same problem and same, and you know, like a bunch of answers will all happen at once. I really like to think about that because now it's happening more and more. There might be thousands of groups like your little circle that are, they're going on all over the world. Um, so it's cool to, cool to think about, you know, just that, that feel. Yeah, dude, this I'm finding, I'm finding this conversation. I'm actually finding to be kind of trippy in a way. Like, <laughs> There's this sense I'm getting of like, there's all these little bubbles and they're all like kind of connected, but also maybe contained to some degree. And there are conversations happening that are like pushing them all forward, like driven by thought leaders. And I like what you're saying too, is that you don't know which bubbles are going to like um, pop or like affect the entire globe. You know, some might, some might not, and some might in invisible ways. But the interesting thing is like all of these different um, bubbles and conversations and all of these different places that are progressing are also like connected by some common th like the zeitgeist of today they're all like touching each other and insights might be connected in ways that cannot be seen and the thing that i'm finding trippy about this is like it just keeps expanding and then as new areas of thought develop then people will find themselves into those and find it like you know a million new branches to go and like everything is just expanding infinitely and it's it's giving me like quite a um, sensation right now. <laughs> you know, uh, in the adventure world, people often are like, ah, oh, you know, I wish I was born a couple centuries ago because then I can discover new, new lands and uh, be the first person to do something. And oh, all the good stuff's been discovered. Except that there's more opportunities for exploration now than than back then. That's cool. Have you ever um, considered yourself a thought adventurer? A thought adventurer. Um, I, that's, a, that's a new term, but I, I suppose it would fit. Cool. <laughs> yeah, it seemed like fitting for what we were talking about. Yeah, I, I have a, um, one of my mentors, um, Rick. He had this, this term uh, in our interview that was psychonaut which is basically like astronaut, but someone who explores their own psyche. And 
he was talking about how the mind could be a dangerous place and you don't want to go there alone when, when you're exploring. But, you know, I've, I've thought of that term psychonaut as, as something that's applicable. Well, I mean, and that's, so part of the reason I was like very curious upon discovering your website was, well, I guess I was curious for two reasons. One, you're the only other person who had used the phrase, the art of adventure that I'd seen before. Like I had spoken to that um, by myself, but I'd never seen it. And, and like you have dedicated a portion of your life to that, which I thought was cool. And, and I was also struck by like um, reading your website, what appeared to be your passion for self-inquiry. Uh, I thought that was cool. And I like that term psychonaut also because I like exploring my mind. Like I like doing meditation retreats and I like doing psychedelics and I like getting into intimate spaces with people that feel parts of myself I've never felt before. And the mind is, I'm discovering, an infinitely <laughs> explorable place. And there's no end to just like the emotional nooks and crannies and the imagery and the reactions and the patterns I have. And it's a lot of fun. And it, it makes me wonder, like, in your journey of exploration, are there like places that you're desire for adventure or, or desire for exploration have been gravitating towards, whether internally or externally? The first thing that pops into my mind is those moments when you, and, and I always think about stepping to the rim of a canyon and looking down and sort of seeing this vast scene in front of you. And it's those experiences just sort of, they sort of hit you full on and your hair stands on end and you feel this really heavy sense of awe and wonder and appreciation for the universe, for being on planet earth. Uh, it's, I guess it's those, uh, those moments, they're sort of like forceful, forceful gratitude moments. Um, so, so just like discovering things like that and, and, um, you know, so part of the reason when I was a kid, when I first started riding bikes with my friend, uh, it was also about like, what are we going to, what are we going to see? Like, we're going to come around the bend and see something we've never seen before. And it's just going to fill us with a sense of our own power to actually just ride from our house and find this spot that we found. Um, so partly it's, it's just these moments that I've been seeking uh, and partly it's, you know, I, I, I think the, the, the world is, is full of people. And as I adventure, a lot of the memories are, are you know, tied to groups of people or meeting people. Um, when I, when I think about adventure, you can go on amazing adventures by yourself and, and explore yourself. But, uh, I, th I think in the last 10 years, it's, it's like finding a really great relationship and connection with someone that you never expected to find. And this, you know, I find these in like the, the restaurant owner around the corner or someone from a village that I never expected to actually connect with and like, or maybe it's, it's some, you know, it usually it's someone that's not like me that, for some reason we get along really well and see eye to eye on things and, and enjoy the same things, even though uh, our life histories are totally opposite. Hmm. Yeah. I, I relate to that a lot in when I first started exploring spirituality as just like a blanket term a couple of years ago, I was essentially like a hundred percent psycho, not inwardly exploration focused. Um, I just wanted to explore the nature of my mind, the nature of my suffering, like um, that that was it. But it wasn't until pretty recently that I kind of stumbled across a different form of exploring, like what you're talking about, of like exploring the beauty of connections and allowing myself to really be surprised at just how differently like textured each connection can be. And sometimes there's a connection that can come in my life that is evoked from what you're saying of just like a person who I talked to for, I don't know, it could be 10 minutes or an hour. And it can, sometimes it can, it has shifted my life course before. 
And I have no intention of seeing that person again, but there's something about like a connection presenting itself, my curiosity to explore it and then letting it affect me. And then of course, some connections like I'll explore for the rest of my life with that person or as long as we're alive. But it's there's something really beautiful about, uh, I think, at least for me, orienting my desire for exploration in the realm of connecting with other human beings. Uh, and I, you know, there's something also about uh, if you're traveling, if, if part of your adventure is traveling and you know that you're going to spend, uh, I don't know, a, an evening or a week with someone and then that might be it. It's, it's very, it forces you to go, go all in uh, if you, if you want to. Um, but there's, it's sort of like, well, obviously our lives are, I'll say currently, uh, limited to some lifespan, a hundred years or whatever. Um, but I mean, so we don't really consider that we're ever going to die. At least, uh, even if you try to, you forget that you're going to die. Um, but some, some shortening of that, like the lifespan that I have with this person on the train and they're going to get off the train and, um, you know, I, like the first, one of the first times I experienced that I was, I was taking the train in Australia down the coast to, to visit a friend, um, on Fraser Island, which is the largest island made of sand in the world. It's like hundreds of miles of just sand in, in the middle of, uh, the barrier reef. I was taking the train down. I was like a 10 hour ride. And I started chatting with this old Australian guy. And he told me how he didn't have anyone left in his life anymore. His uh, son got killed in a war. And he just told me his whole life story. And he started crying. He's like, I've never told anyone this before. And I was just sitting there just, listening. And I was like, Oh my God, you know, this guy is 40 years, 50 years older than me. What compelled him to want to share his life with me at that moment? Uh, that was before I was ever an interviewer or really understood the power of these, like asking an uh, open-ended question and then letting someone just fill it. But uh, you know, you start to see there's, there's a lot of, power in sort of the the limited availability of I will give you the space to <laughs> to open up right now <laughs> and go <laughs> that's a beautiful story and th there's something yet yeah, in what you're saying too of like if I know that the lifespan of this relationship is a day or something I think there's just some like freedom in um in like not needing to I don't know. There's something in uh, there's something I, I feel around that of like being able to not ha be in be in the connection and not need it to tie to the rest of my like life narrative, and just like be whoever I want to be in that moment because the person doesn't know anything about me. They're not expecting anything of me in the future, and so I can just like let it out in whatever way I want to. And there's something actually about that <laughs> which is reminds me of. Did you ever use? Um, I'm not sure if this was in your time, but like uh, Instant Messenger, AIM, back in the day. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So I remember um, having friends who I only talked to on Instant Messenger, and in that case, it wasn't necessarily a definite, definitive lifespan, but it was. It there was some similar quality in that it wasn't face to face that gave this feeling of freedom, and I remember like people, I would be like bearing my soul to people I didn't know. And they'd be bearing their soul to me over AIM and saying things we had never said before. And there was just, there was this really um, similar quality to that older man that was talking to you for, you know, only a certain period of time that felt a freedom to, to, to open himself up like that. And, and it, it makes me wonder, particularly given your experience in interviewing, um, coaching, leading groups of at least for you, are there are there skills that you've been able to like cultivate that can allow allow for that allow for that like feeling of safety to open up in that way? Recently, I've been experimenting with questions that embed some sort of. So if if you're in a in a line of questions learning about someone, if you can embed understanding of their experience within your question. So if they say something like. Um, you know, uh, I was, I was bankrupt and then I taught myself about finances and, uh, became a millionaire. Um, you know, there's some sort of feeling of like, I'm not going to allow this to happen again. Like I would be frustrated and disappointed, but also optimistic 
and like all these feelings happening right to someone that, that declares bankruptcy. And then as you start to acquire knowledge about the financial world, it could be very empowering. And so like embedding understanding of those feelings and this sort of emotional trajectory within your question, uh, sort of like gives them the space to be like, wow, okay, I'm, I'm seen. And I know that this question is coming from, from a place of some understanding. Uh, and then, and then, yeah, it can just go from there. I've got a, um, question that's a bit of a, uh, curveball that just popped in my head when you were talking about, um, death that right now we might live to be a hundred, um, or something like that. <laughs> it made me wonder <laughs> if you could choose how, at what age you died or how long you lived, how, how far do you think you would take that? Uh, right now I would choose to live forever because, my reading list is really long and there's just a ton of skills that I have on my list to learn. And I don't think I would ever get bored or tired of, you know, just that stuff. Um, and even like when I rewatch movies or reread books, I get more out of them. So I feel like I could just keep learning forever and, wouldn't it be sweet to hang out with your great, 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 great grandkids. <laughs> and I don't know, there's just a lot of positives. To, and I'm, I'm assuming like if I'm living forever that I am roughly in the same sort of physical health that I am right now, which is fine. Um, so yeah, I think, I think I would just keep going until I didn't have a good reason to. Yeah. I, 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 I resonate with your like, um, or what I perceive to be just like this voraciousness for like learning about life in different ways. And maybe it's a curiosity too. And is there any part of you that like wants to experience death or are you curious what that's like? Uh, I have experienced it a bunch in my dreams. I have a recurring uh, head injury dream where I've experienced like getting either shot in the head or um, like some some other sort of uh, blunt object to the head and then actually dying in the dream and then like rising above my body and experiencing death. And it helps helps make death seem less scary and it also makes me expect to die via a head injury. <laughs> um, so I, I, I don't know. I guess uh, I hadn't, hadn't really thought about experiencing death. Actually hadn't before I became a dad, I hadn't really thought too deeply about wanting to experience that since I was so busy with what was right in front of me. Um, but you know, I'm glad, I'm glad that I get to do it now. Yeah. What, what is it like, um, in the recurring dream when you're floating above, floating above yourself? Oh, let's see. It's, um, it's sort of, it's sort of like, uh, well, as I'm dying, it's sort of like, oh, that's what, you know, that's what this is like, like, oh, well, and sort of surrendering to that and then sort of transitioning to a different state. Uh, it's basically, yeah, it's like the same consciousness, but without a body, essentially. Don't know if that's what it's actually like, but. <laughs> yeah, 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 me neither. <laughs> But that's neat. That's um, I just find death to be a really compelling contemplation. I just feel like there's, yeah, there's a lot in there. And the reason I had asked you about how long you wanted to live, well, I was curious what you'd say, because that's something I often wonder if there's like, I mean, being alive is awesome. There's no doubt about it, at least in my circumstances and in, well, in the privilege that I have to be in the life that I'm in and orient myself towards it the ways that I've figured out to, I really enjoy life. And I also wonder, like, death is such a natural part of the cycle of everything that we um, know about life and nature. There's a part of me that also really wonders, like, is there some, like, peace or solace in ceasing to be a human at some point as well? You know, it's it's interesting. I, I asked my my grandfather, who just turned 90, um, how long he wanted to live because he started giving away his possessions like 20 years ago, like preparing to die. And he's been super healthy and active and stuff ever since. And it doesn't seem like he's 
could, you know, could be several more decades. <laughs> and I said, well, how, you know, if you could stay healthy, how long would you want to live? And he's like, I'm good right now. Like I would go tomorrow. And I was like, wow. Uh, so it's, it's interesting to think about also feeling like you've done everything, like feeling some sort of completeness with your life, uh, which gotta be an amazing place to be, uh, to be like, <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> Accomplished everything. All my hopes and dreams came true. You know? Wow. Yeah. Wow. I am certainly not at that place, <laughs> but <laughs> I know that for sure. There's like a lot I want to do. And I mean, a lot of it for me comes from an ambition to just like live my purpose fully and like do everything I can do. And certainly a lot of it for me comes from an insecurity insecurities of just like wanting to prove something to myself or prove something to others as well. But, but yeah, I can say pretty definitively that on a day to day basis, I lack what, whatever your grandfather is feeling that his work here is done. You know, at, uh, there's this, there's this amazing photo that I took of him uh, on his birthday and he's just sitting in the front porch uh, up in the upper Appalachian mountains, rocking chair on the front porch, like watching the sunset. And he's just got this look on his face. It's like, I'm the master of the universe. <laughs> and like, you know, he, he sees his great, great grandchildren playing in the lawn in front of him. And he's just like, this is you know, my life is like perfect. And that's gotta be, it's gotta be great, right? <laughs> <laughs> For sure. I'm I'm curious just from the brief um bit we've gotten to know each other, I've I guess I've it I've gotten the impression that you are that family is an important part of your life. And well one, I'm curious if that's true and two, I'm curious if so, has it always been like um important and easy for you to relate and get along with your family? I'm an only child and uh, my parents are still together and they have uh, a relationship that's uh, I really, really admire and is, is a really a good model for me. I think um, it was, you know, if let's say we're, we choose our families, then I picked a, a really good one um, because they taught me a lot about adventure they they adventure even more than I do, honestly. That right now they are uh, in the wilderness in Montana, canoeing the Upper Missouri River, um, and then you know earlier this year they were touring the the canals of France, and they're going to be riding across the state of Missouri, and like <laughs> they do way more adventures than I do. So of course, you know, I learned. I learned some things about what makes a good relationship and we had a pretty tight knit family, just three of us. And we were always just, you know, going camping and hanging out together. Um, one thing that they did really well was basically if I showed interest in something, they wouldn't enable me. So I wanted to, to speed skate and go really, really fast. I just was like, what does it feel like to go as fast as possible? So my mom, got me some speed skating lessons and bought me a pair of speed skates so that I could see. And I, you know, took it as far as I wanted to, which was uh, going to the national championships as a junior and, and doing okay. And then I, my, they didn't. So, so some parents might say like, wow, you could be an Olympian and uh, let's put you in more rigorous training and, and get you to the Olympics. But when my, attention shifted from speed skating to uh, math or running or whatever it was, they, they were like, okay, we'll figure out a way for you to like go deeper in this or that. And uh, I, yeah, I really looking back, just appreciated them sort of supporting, but not pushing in that way. Hmm. Yeah. Th wow. That makes me wonder just because I, I get this sense that like at all times I'm kind of parenting myself in some ways it, internally, like sometimes I'll yell at myself for not doing something well, or sometimes I'll be encouraging or whatever. And I'm wondering if that orientation um, reflects how you parent yourself of being present with the passion and feeding it. Uh, I'm probably a lot harder on myself than my parents ever were. 
uh, you know, it's just like, I, I look at it like I'm demanding excellence, but, but really it's, uh, I'm probably not giving myself as much leeway as anyone else would. Um, and, and, and because like I've gotten good at several different things throughout the course of my life. And if I'm starting something new, I expect that I am, should be at the same level. I should be the best in the world at this thing that I'm just a beginner at. And of course that's unrealistic and it can be very frustrating. Um, but I think a lot of people have that same experience when you see a master painter, musician, athlete, whatever. And you're like, Oh, that looks so easy. I could do that. And you try it and you just act like a dumb person, uh, you know? And so this, this gap between what you see as possible and where you are is, is where people beat themselves up, is where I beat, the, beat myself up. So I think just going into it, knowing that, uh, and then if you were to parent yourself, then the self-talk might look something like, uh, this is exactly how you should feel when you're, trying this thing that you're trying to do and it's okay to be at that spot because it's normal gosh that makes me just really appreciate the value of learning new things and being a beginner and just being thrust into the space of like having no clue what's going on like sucking really bad at something but then very concretely improving relatively quickly if for me if i'll if i stick with something but that that's cool. Hearing, hearing you say that I'm feeling inspiration. Um, I'd been contemplating for a while getting into jujitsu, Brazilian jujitsu. And um, yeah, when you were talking, something clicked where I, I'm feeling compelled to like make the push for it and just be a novice and get my butt whooped for a little bit. And it's cool because uh, you're, you know, if you go in and you try it and then maybe you try it without getting much guidance and you're like, okay, here's, uh, here's where I want some guidance and you, you get someone to be like, Oh, just use your arm this way or, or whatever, or move your body. And, and then you try it and it works and you're like, Oh my God. And it clicks inside your, your musculoskeletal neurology. And it's like a different type of understanding, of, you know, physical understanding or when you catch a wave on a surfboard and you're like, I did it. I did it. And you try again and you can't do it. And you're like, but I just did it. I should be able to do it now. Um, you know, these, these little bitty clicks where you get it and you don't, and you get it again, uh, are pretty exciting. Yeah, dude. And there's something really beautiful about learning, um, physical, physical acts in that way. Cause that, that click you're talking about that, like muscle memory click. It's like, I remember the first time I noticed this, I was learning poi, spinning poi on YouTube a couple years ago, the little balls on strings. And I remember it was just like, when I learned to do a particular movement, I couldn't do it, couldn't do it, and then the click happened, and then it was just like, all of a sudden I could just do it. And it was just, it was there, and it wasn't there a second ago, and then it was there. And the, the concreteness of that is just like so satisfying. Mm. <laughs> I've, yeah. I've, I've also, um, uh, I, I'm curious in this realm of like improving skills and trying new things, um, I, I'm curious, this is a broad question, but what your relationship to mastery is? Hmm. I, it's, it's something that I'm always seeking. I think because I have a, a belief that I should be the best in the wor world at everything that I try. And of course, my motivation doesn't match that always. I'm not motivated to put in I actually, I've never gotten to be the best in the world at anything I've done. Um, I've gotten to be, you know, in the top 1%, maybe top 5% in some things. Um, but, you know, my, my fitness is perhaps one of those things um, that, you know, I was a, a pro cyclist, so I, so I got pretty good, but there was another, you know, 800 to 1,000 cyclists who were faster than me in the world. And... Um, you know, it was, it just came down to like, oh my gosh, another five years of really, really working super hard to this last half a percent. Like it's not worth it to me to put that effort in. And also, so, so being okay with that level of mastery, you know, I'm, I'm pretty okay with my level of mastery of driving a car, which is to say I can get from here to there without getting an accident, but I would probably crash in a car race. 
so there's there's a lot of things that have gotten to acceptable level of mastery. Uh, so I think it comes down to if you have the motivation and fascination to like keep digging deeper and deeper into something, then then you'll get there. And and if you don't, you can't really you can't really force it because um, it's it's too hard of a thing. Once you get to um, level of competence that's adequate for for whatever you need, like um, writing writing an email, you know, most people get to a certain level and they they're not not going to work on writing and crafting a better and better email uh, because it gets harder and harder to improve because you're getting you know you you need to find someone who's even better to give you some, some way of training the thing that you don't know. And then you need people that are going to challenge you and, and maybe socialize it for you. And you need, uh, again, that emotional attachment to why you're doing it in the first place. And there's, yeah, there's a whole, whole lot of phases to continuing to, to go past plateaus and plateaus are, most people it's it's comfortable because any of this this learning this change is going against our our biology our homeostasis um because you actually have to like grow new neural connections and you have to actually use energy of concentration and your mind which could be spent on other things so there's a biological cost to mastery that if we don't have to spend it our body's just going to say let's not do that and conserve the energy for something else so it is this sort of uh, uphill thing that you you need a really good reason to 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 keep going. Hmm. Yeah, that's cool. I had never thought about that, and it like make I never thought about that biology piece at the end, and that makes a lot of sense. Of like, yeah, pursuing something, you know, it requires discipline, and sometimes I don't want to do it, <laughs> and I got to push myself <laughs> to do it, and. <laughs> And I, I'm wondering, I guess I'm coming from a place of, um, well, to me, you strike me as a multi-passionate individual. Um, I'm not sure if that's true, but I consider myself to be uh, something similar. I There's just things interest me and like lots of things interest me. And a question that I often wonder for myself is, hmm, do I want to pick one thing of the many that interests me? Just hone in on that and like, see where it takes me or is there a way i can pick kind of like a north star of mastery maybe something more vague or abstract that allows all of my many passions to move me towards whatever that north star is so like for me it might be something like mastery of um interacting with or mastery of like orienting myself towards life in a way that like creates um fulfillment or something like that or it might be like mastery over my relationship to fear or resistance or uh, th things of that nature where like everything I'm doing can kind of be plugged into that particular thing. Mastery of like opening my heart, wh whatever it might be. Um, but, but I was curious because I'm still very much figuring out what that means to me. I was curious how, if, if or how you've been able to integrate um, the different things that you're interested in uh, into a sense of mastery, if, if that's an important if that is an important word for you? I think it's tempting to try to find some unifying theme or umbrella that we can cram all of our interests into. Um, you know, so, so the pursuit of mastery itself and understanding that could, could be one example, but <laughs> I think it's also important to give yourself permission. If there's something that fascinates you that doesn't appear to have any benefit or relationship to the other stuff that you give yourself the opportunity to, to explore. And maybe later some sort of connection uh, happens because of it. Um, but if nothing leads to it other than, than the enjoyment of discovery, I think that's perfectly acceptable. And it can be just like a thing that you went and tried um, and maybe get some interesting stories from and perspective, but it doesn't have to, fit in with the rest yeah cool i i appreciate that perspective and I, i'm it's just 
in what's I'm becoming curious about in this conversation, it's occurring to me like um, the pressure that I put on myself in order to like um, pick pick a thing, pick a single thing. Um, there's something about I don't know if like generalist has a bad rep. Um, that word has a bad rep, but yeah, there's a constant insecurity or pressure I have. And that's becoming apparent when I was hearing you talk about giving oneself permission to try something. Um, that's, that's really taxing and it's really fun to just try things for the heck of trying things too. There's, there's like a real freedom in that. Yeah. I'm curious about your, uh, the pressure. Is it, is it the pressure to, um, to where does that come from? I'd be curious about where the pressure comes from. Yeah, let me search. I think for me, it's rooted to some like desire to succeed. And that's kind of an amorphous word, but like some desire for success and desire to like get somewhere and be something and like uh, do something. And I think I have a belief that ties that to um to mastery or or focus and a lack of scatteredness and a lack of generalism um so yeah i think there's something around like some desire to succeed which is probably more ultimately linked to like a, a grave fear of failing or losing whatever those words even mean um i had a similar feeling of needing to step up and create something that was there for a long time. Uh, in part, I think that came from so many people supporting me and teaching me throughout my life and really putting a lot into building my character, you know, from boy Scouts to elementary teachers and mentors and like so many people, it was like this overwhelming sense of gratitude. And I was like, Oh my gosh, uh, you know, my parents sent me to college, uh, all of these, you know, I was born a, a white male, like privilege after privilege. And instead of, you know, just being grateful, it created this weight of expectation for myself. Like everything, you know, you're set up to, to be really successful. So damn well better, uh, get a move on. And so, yeah, I, I had, I had created that same sort of pressure for myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How, how were you able, were slash are able to navigate that like uh, imprinted sense of guilt or obligation? Um, I, I, the easiest way for me is just to like go be helpful to someone right away. Um, <laughs> you know, and I often use that uh, when I'm in the getting down to myself as a beginner. I will go help someone else um, because it shifts my uh, it shifts my state, my mood, uh, makes me feel much better uh, about myself, and sort of like resets, and I can I can go uh, go try to the thing that I you know just just fell failed at. Um, yeah, I think just like consistently thinking about how can I help people, what can I create experiences, products, relationships. Yeah, th I appreciate you sharing that. And um, I, I'm curious to change gears a bit because I had sure. a question about, well, first of all, I wanted to say, congratulations on writing a book. That's pretty dang cool. Uh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, and Thanks. that you launched that like two months ago or so? It came out in July, Superconductors. In July. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, well, I guess for starters, what was the process of writing a book like? The actual writing process was was hard for me. I would uh, I would constantly be talking to to Heidi and say, um, "Why don't I Why don't I cook dinner while while you write for me today?" And she's like, "I can't write your book for you." And I'm like, "I know, but I don't want to write it either." <laughs> and uh, this, these are all things that I love talking about, and mm. I'm really curious about and when I actually got going, it was fun and the words just flowed out. But I don't know, there's just this thing like your publisher is waiting on the chapter and it's past the deadline. And I'm like, I don't want to do it. This is this rebellious sort of 
you can't make me do it. And then I just had to come back to, okay, well, why am I bothering to write a book in the first place? Uh, to, to teach something that's important, to build credibility in my career, to see if I can do it, to, you know, undertake a, a big project. There's like, there's a lot of different reasons. And I had to just keep coming back to those to make myself sit my butt in the chair and not, it's my procrastination is I will go and do more research. And this <laughs> book was, was so well researched because I, <laughs> it was just a, a avoiding, you know, some, some chapters, ha, you know, there's like a hundred different references in a single chapter. And it's like, just, you know, just write the chapter and turn it in. It's your first book. It doesn't have to be the best book in the world. And I'm glad, I'm glad I had a deadline. I'm glad I had to, you know, I had financial responsibility to get it out there. Um, it would have been embarrassing for, for it not to get out there since so many people were counting on it. Uh, it's great. And I'm sure that I can write an even better book next time. So yeah, the process was exciting and also excruciating. <laughs> yeah. Dude, that is the most hilarious, but also like kind of useful form of procrastination of just like uber researching. I've, I've found that um, just as a quick aside, I caught myself a couple weeks ago procrastinating from working by watching Brian Tracy videos on YouTube about how to be productive and beat procrastination. I was like, oh man, this is like the ultimate, <laughs> the ultimate trap. <laughs> but that's cool. Um, I'm curious of the different chapters and segments, was there one that you found most interesting or captivating some of these topics have interested me like uh, charisma and strategic relationships have interested me for a long time and so i had a much better understanding of where the chapters were going and then some of them uh it was basically like i think this is important i've seen this pattern amongst uh, guests of the art of adventure of successful people so I know there's a thing here, but I don't know exactly why um, why or how something like uh, gamification or having fun is actually useful or important. So it was, that was something where I sort of taught myself and looked deeper into the pattern of, uh, you know, why delight and fun is such a driver of, of economic development and, and careers and things like that. Um, so I started piecing the puzzle together for some chapters and some chapters already sort of, you know, sort of wrote themselves very quickly. Mm. Got it. Cool. Yeah. One thing I'm curious to ask you about is around charisma, which yeah, charisma, charisma is fascinating. I think I, I was reading through your book and I think I saw that you broke it down to warmth, power, and presence, which I thought was a really interesting, um, breakdown and, well, I guess for starters, what what does it even like mean to be charismatic in in just like the most simple of terms? <laughs> that's a, that's a good question, but but it's uh, how other people see you, and um, I mean, we all sort of we all sort of know what charisma is. We just we just like these people more, and we just want to follow them or be their friend or hang out in this circle with them uh, because they make us feel fun or funny or exciting or something like they make us feel a certain way about ourselves. And so it's these like these outward facing qualities of how we interact, how we hold ourselves, who we're being that enable other people to feel, you know, excited about themselves. And so I think, Charisma is is sort of the soup of of these things that are you know sort of shining out of you um, that affect other people. So that's your your internal state and your thoughts and also your your body position and you know part of part of this is is biology um, driven uh, people that are taking up a small amount of space. Like we can easily tell that person is kind of depressed or sad or or, or hurt or something, and someone that's standing tall and beaming with a smile this is a this is a person that feels in charge of their life right now and uh we like people that are in charge of their lives because um you know whatever that makes you feel like that could be me or it's a someone that i want on my side or 
um, somehow I, I'm, I'm drawn to them because I think if they can influence their own world, they can probably influence my world. And I, uh, I believe that they, they like me and that they want to help me and change my life too. So there's, there's a ton of little things going on there with charisma. Cool. That's, it's, it's also interesting that there are like some worlds like the world of pickup artistry, for example, that has tapped into charisma and like deconstructed it and use, and I, I won't um, vic villainize that entire world, but at least there are some folks in that world who have deconstructed charisma and then used it in a way that seems um, uh, to lack integrity. Because to me, there's like, Charisma is, yeah, interesting. And the way you're describing it, it's like me presenting myself in a way that feels good for other people to be around. And there's kind of some like knobs I can turn and like switches I can flick that just like little adjustments that uh, might have that effect more. And it's an, oh, it gets like really mind boggling because then I, if I recognize I'm more charismatic, it inherently becomes influential on you or whomever I'm talking to in some way, shape or form. And and then I guess the question, <laughs> the question that like I that's coming up for me is like, um, yeah, how okay is it be to is it to be influential on other people in an intentional way? So like again, the pickup artist like might use skills of charisma in order to influence a woman to become a sexual partner or something like that. Um, and and I'm wondering like for you, is charisma like a directed influence thing like that, or just a general? other people feeling good and empowered in your presence? Uh, yeah. So I would use, you know, uh, when I was single, I wanted to be the the most exciting, interesting, fun person. So yeah, I would definitely actively think about what using, using charisma to have people be more attracted to me. So for sure. Or, or when I'm on stage, you know, I'm uh, thinking about, some elements of charisma because I want people to whatever it is I want them to take away. I think it'll be easier for them to, to get there. If I'm charismatic, like they will think that I, that I know what I'm talking about. They will be more compelled to take action after the workshop. Uh, they will listen more intently. Um, all of these things are sort of a result of, you know, whatever my blend of charisma happens to be. So uh, the reason I started looking into this was actually when I was a, a teacher uh, in grad school, I was teaching uh, microbiology to undergrads and I wanted to see if the way that I showed up changed the outcomes for my students. If, you know, like assuming the curriculum is the same and, you know, I don't have a lot of teaching experience, but if I improving my charisma and my ability to teach, uh, like as, as different variables. So the, the charisma seemed to, to make the biggest difference, uh, is what I, was that what I noticed? Wow. Okay, cool. Yes. Yeah, so I guess what I'm getting from that is like, if I have a desire to enact positive effect on the world, charisma is something that can just help bring about that positive effect. I mean, if you have a desire to bring a negative effect, it would help just as much. Yeah. 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 For sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> cool. Um, we're running into time and I'm curious, Derek, where can people find you and uh, for what reasons might they want to look you up? Ah, uh, that's, a, that's a good uh, second part of that. So you can find me at DerekLoudermilk.com and um, you can find the, the various things that I do. The, the book that we talked about, Superconductors and the podcast, The Art of Adventure, and there's, there's basically like an ecosystem of things that I do that involves uh, coaching and adventure trips. And there's, there's a variety, variety of ways to, to start getting involved in uh, either working with me or learning the stuff that I'm putting out. So uh, I invite you to start, start it at my website. Thanks. Cool. Right on, man. I uh, want to thank you for your time, your willingness to sit down chat with me, expend energy. And yeah, you're a really easy guy to talk to. And I appreciate, um, yeah, just appreciate your vibe. You've got like an easygoing vibe, easy to open up to and easy to feel, uh, for me to feel confident around. So thanks for being you and showing up. 
Awesome. Uh, well, thanks, Mike, for having me. It was, it was fun. Hey, friends. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you got something out of this episode. I know that I sure had a blast with it. If you enjoy this podcast, please head over to iTunes and give it a five-star rating. I'm offering an exchange right now where if it feels in alignment for you to give this podcast five stars, then send me a message on Facebook, let me know you did it, and then I'll sit down, take some time to grok your profile, and I will write you a thoughtful and sincere compliment. Truly, please take me up on it. And if this episode touched on something you think a friend might find titillating, pass it on to them too. And I just want to say, I bring my utmost sincerity to each of these conversations, and I really do want to spread vibes and information that cause people to reflect and deepen and just live a more honest, kind, and vivacious life. Because I really believe that the state of the world needs everything that we can give it. It needs people to be at full capacity. It needs people to be living their life fully and giving their greatest positive impact to humanity. And so if I can just flick over one domino with this podcast that flicks over a couple more that lead people into living their life fully and giving back to the earth, then by Jove, man, I will be a happy dude. So trying to do my part here and any help, love, and support, I would just so greatly appreciate. And at the very least, I am super appreciated that you listened to this episode and much love, folks. I'll see you next time.